At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. I've got with me writer-director Stephen Scheel. Good Hi evening, there. Stephen. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Now, the the um, the guy that runs BritFlix and the guy that started it is uh, is a big fan of your your film, Mum and Dad, I must add, at this point in the podcast. That's nice to hear. That's always <laughs> nice to hear. So he's very excited that we've got you on the show. So that's... Uh, that's a feather in my cap and a feather in yours. So the reason the reason we got you on is is not for a new film as such, but for the up and coming Mayhem Festival that you hold in Nottingham. Yeah. Do you want to give a brief introduction about what the Mayhem Festival is? Yeah, the the Mayhem Film Festival is um, held at uh, Broadway Cinema um, in Nottingham, and we run over four days every kind of Halloween weekend or the closest weekend to Halloween. And it's a festival that basically encompasses the best in world horror and cult film and television. So this year we've got 17 films over four days, special guests, uh, directors. We've got a big event with uh, Nick Rogue. He's going to come and uh, show a couple of films, Puffball, his uh, last film, and uh, Don't Look Now, which we're screening in a big old Gothic church in Nottingham on Halloween. So uh, it's a a really big kind of event for us. First time we've done something outside of the Broadway cinema. Um, And we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, we've got a great spread of films, some some kind of archive classic films and a lot of uh, just brand new stuff. Nice one. Well, we'll we'll look into that in a, later on in the podcast. But first of all, first and foremost, one of the things that I like what I'm trying to do this podcast for is because Britflix is ostensibly about British film. Well, it is about British filmmaking um, and and working in British film. I mean, I, I had some leeway recently with um, with the Fright Fest. Right. Where I got to speak to filmmakers around the world because. It's fair to say with Frightfest, you know, being a big fantasy festival in Britain, it's worth celebrating that as a point about the British film industry, I think. Yeah, sure. And, and they're very supportive of, obviously, British British horror filmmakers and genre filmmakers. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's it, what I'm trying to collect together is people's stories about how what got them interested and then what was their kind of routine so people can see, you know, that the, there isn't like a magic wand for starters. Yeah, and yeah. Th- there are many, there are many roads that may or may not lead you into film. So starting off with the kind of 
kind of um, easy part of that. You know, what thinking about when you sort of got bit by the film bug, as it were, what what film or or actor or director represents a tipping point for you where you thought that's what I want to do. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird because I I came to filmmaking a bit late. Really, I I wanted to be a writer when I was younger, and okay. you know, sort of novelist, short stories, that kind of stuff. And I was always really into film. Like you know, when I was growing up, it was kind of um, prime era for kind of video nasties and stuff like that. So yeah. you know, Halloween, Evil Dead, Halloween not being a, a video nasty in itself, but but you know that kind of era was mm. was like, when I grew up and started watching watching films and you know big John Carpenter fan. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to be a writer, and it was only kind of uh, I moved to Nottingham in about 1992, and you know, with the plan of uh, avoiding work as much as possible <laughs> by uh, doing like temp jobs and kind of being on the dole and writing. And I just spent like years kind of you know writing uh, prose. Okay. Um, but at the, at the time, in the kind of early to mid 90s, there was a kind of um, scene developing around Nottingham, this kind of uh, sort of DIY filmmaking scene with uh, obviously Shane Meadows kind of right at the, at the heart of that. But a load of other people as well who were kind of really into the, um, uh, you know, the, the new kind of, I mean, it wasn't digital at the time, but it, it, there was more access to kind of like video, uh, you know, video mm. cameras. And I knew a few people who were kind of working on the fringes of that. And just because I'd, I'd written stuff, people suddenly sort of said, oh, you know, do you want to help out? You know, have you got a script that you want to write? And I just kind of started collaborating with people that way. And um, and when, you know, uh, and because Nottingham's, Nottingham's kind of quite weird, it's kind of never had like a, a film school or anything. Mm. So there was never never this kind of idea or never this kind of glamour about, oh, you've got to work on 16 mil or, you know, you've got to kind of go to film school because it, that, that didn't exist in Nottingham. <laughs> so everybody just got much more into the idea of just like doing it themselves. And and when kind of like, you know, DV came in, mini DV came in, that was a big kind of explosion of people just thinking, hey, I can just, I can, I can make a film, you know, and, and they, you know, they weren't kind of worried about whether it was going to look, like absolutely, you know, pristine sixteen mil. They they were just worried about the, you know, they were just concerned about the fact that they could now go out, shoot something, cut it, and show it, and they and they could have access to all of that equipment. So there was a whole kind of scene, DIY scene around Nottingham in the sort of, you know, late nineties, kind of early two thousands, I guess, where loads of people were just doing that. There was a big kind of explosion of that, and Nottingham got a bit of a kind of reputation for being a kind of hub for that. And what 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 was your kind of? How did you get onto the other side of the camera? Then I can imagine you were very attractive to filmmakers wanting to get some co- something to make a film about. But what what got you well, the other side of the camera, as it were? Well, I guess I I I kind of got more kind of got interested in in, in filmmaking, and then there was um there was a course that was running at the time at a place called Intermedia. Okay. Um, where they did a one year course called Head Start um, to qualify for which you had to be on the dole and within a certain postcode. And um, it was kind of European Social Fund funded. Okay. And it was just, it was this fantastic course where it was a year long foundation course in all aspects of filmmaking where you did, you know, uh, live TV, you did video production, you did film production, and you did every single role. And uh, you actually got uh, got paid or you got a kind of um, sort of stipend every month to, or to, to, to allow you to kind of come off the double and, and sort of live and, and, and do this course. So it was just kind of, slightly kind of magical time that you, you just it's like a brave new world you know? 
so you know, it's so kind of uh, when I tell people about it now, they're like, "Well, you got paid to actually learn how to do this stuff." Yeah, yeah. And 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 it was it was amazing. I did a year long course with a fantastic tutor called Roger Not Fail, who was uh, you know just a you know brilliant teacher, and it's where I met some of the you know the friends that I. You know, I still work with now Chris Cook, who's my co-director at the Mayhem Film Festival. I met, you know, met him before that course, but worked on that course with him, and have worked mm. with him kind of on and off ever since. So, so that was the kind of transition, really. I went from just, you know, being interested in film to learning how to do every single job, really. So, you did a bit of camera work, sound work, producing, directing, editing. Yeah, non-linear editing, three machine editing. We kind of covered covered everything. And once I kind of left the course, um, I just you know, I just kind of got that bug of like wanting to make my own films and, and just kind of moved on from there, really. I guess it's like that perfect storm of getting sort of hothoused with, with a wide variety of skills and filmmaking suddenly becoming affordable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I say, yeah, once we left the course, it was just this boom time for like mini DV and suddenly it was, you know, we could all go out and, and actually make films. So there was this whole kind of period of a few years where we would all work on each other's films. So I would shoot camera for Chris and he would shoot camera for me and then I'd go and AD for somebody else or I'd go and do sound for somebody or I'd edit for somebody. And, and so you had, you know, all of these mostly kind of short films really kind of getting, you know, getting made. But we were kind of shooting them, finishing them and, and you know, putting on festivals or showing them at festivals. And, and there was a kind of, you know, there was a real kind of sense of there being a kind of community there, which I think we kind of took for granted at the time. But it's only when you spoke to people from other cities, if you spoke to somebody from London or somewhere, it just, you know, they were like, what, you all work together on film? You know, <laughs> you know, it was this kind of weird kind of idea that, like, you, what, you're not in competition, you're not, you know, you're actually working together. And we're like, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just the way it kind of evolved. And like I say, that's a kind of result, really, of there not really being a film school there or any kind of, um, you know, prescribed way into the film industry we were just thinking well the tools are here to make films so we can make films so that's what we'll do well i, I think the idea of a kind of creative a creative cooperative is 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 arguably what what has started to happen all around now isn't it i think people yeah. see the benefit of it's almost like finding people at the same level and working together and coming up is a it's not yeah, a bad formula yeah, absolutely, from what I absolutely. I, I, I think it's a really good thing. It's only, you know, it's only kind of exploded more because of the technology. The technology is, is now there so that everybody, you know, can afford some kind of camera. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, 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 and like I said, there wasn't, in Nottingham, there wasn't really a kind of snobbishness about, about video, which you, you may have gotten in other cities where there was, you know, people just wanted to shoot on film if they wanted to be filmmakers. They only considered film, and that was it. But in Nottingham, it's like well, you know, we shoot on high A or mini DV or beach or whatever, and or you know the the shittest quality kind of like camcorder you could get, and not worry about it. It was more about you know getting something done and getting something made. How did you find from a writing point of view? How did how do you find the transition from prose to script writing? Because from my understanding, that obviously they're very they're very different art forms and. Arguably, there's, there's this this kind of repeated thing about how there's, you know, script writing is a craft as much as it's an art. Yeah. Um, how did you find that transition from a writer's point of view? Well, I guess I just <laughs> I just started writing scripts really, and I started writing short film scripts, hmm. and um, and I guess there was sort of in the very early days, I wasn't really sort of submitting them to anybody or getting anybody to kind of critique them. I was just saying, I've got a script shall we make it? And that's what pretty much everybody was doing. So I guess everybody who was making films kind of had that kind of bravado of like, you know, I've written this, let's shoot it, let's try it out. And then you learn whether it works 
because you see it on the screen and you think, well, that didn't work or that did work. And, and it's kind of how I got into, into making horror stuff, really, because when I first started making films, even though, I, you know, when I was younger, I'd been a big kind of horror fan. When I first started making films, it was more kind of like black comedies and stuff, which is kind of like meat and potatoes and short films, really. You know, when you start making short films, it's kind of quite easy to do something quite joking, quite kind of... Uh, you know, almost kind of comedy sketch like because those are easy things to kind of appeal to an audience. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. only as, as I kind of got on making films that, you know, I, my kind of subject matter got a bit kind of darker and I ended up making um, a drama that had a kind of ghost story element to it. And then realized that the bit that I liked most of all was doing the ghost story bit and doing the bit that was much more horror filmy. Mm. And that was a bit that, that, you know, I really loved making, really enjoyed the, the process of doing that. And so from that point on, I just kind of went more and more into that, into the actual kind of, you know, horror film genre. So what, what, kind, what kind of writer are you, you know, in terms of your, your scripts? Do you, you, are, you a, are you an everyday man? Are you an outliner? Um, burn the Midnight Oil? What's your, what's your kind of writing habit when you're working on features? Um, <laughs> I guess uh, I'm, I have to be... Uh, I've got... Uh, a young daughter so um uh i have learned to be and i mean she, i say young she's kind of uh, you know nine years old now but you know when i was writing you know my you know mum and dad she was she was quite uh little mm. so there was a kind of you know one you know once you have children you realize that you, you know you don't really have that kind of like um massive amount of spare time anymore so you can't just wait until the news hits you you pretty much have to go right i'm going in i've got you know <laughs> five hours at work today and that's when I write it so so I kind of got into the habit of, of doing that really of um I, I will you know look at how much I need to write in a day and pretty much make a schedule for myself and think well that's that's how much I'm going to write today and and I guess I don't worry too much about I mean scripts are very kind of uh, sort of mutable things I think I think you can kind of get too sort of tied up with this idea that a script's got to be absolutely perfect out of the gate and and in a way it's you know it's just better to kind of get something down because you know at a later point you can go back and revise it you know and and you know so you can you can put some placeholder dialogue in and just think well that doesn't that doesn't work but or that's too on the nose but I need to have that in there so that I can get on to to the next bit because you know that you can always kind of go back to it and and change it so I guess I'm quite you know I'd say I'm probably quite kind of pragmatic as a writer really I, I, I just want to get it I want to get the thing done and I want to get it you know, I want to get it finished. It's no good, you know, unless it's finished. It's no good at being kind of 100% perfect if it's only like 70% finished. You know, it's got to be 100% finished because until it's finished, it's not a thing and it won't ever be a thing. It won't ever be a film, you know. It's funny, funny you talk about like that. I just had, just had that conversation with somebody about an hour ago about, about the idea of something being good but only 70% finished. That's quite spooky. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I was having the same conversation. Um, not a podcast I might add either. That. That side of it, or when I say the other side, I say it's better to be seventy percent. Well, that was just—I was, was saying it about. I think I was, I'm, I'm like sixty pages into something at the minute, and I was saying to—I was saying to him that you know it's better that I keep going than I keep going back and trying to perfect it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So so um, you've you've got your festival coming up then in what what date are we today? Um, it's two weeks tomorrow. Two weeks tomorrow. So it's two weeks tomorrow. And in, in the intro there, you mentioned your your sort of coup, I guess, with Nicholas Rogue coming. Yeah. I mean I mean I might add there we've got the the um the best of British horror films that we're trying to uh unscientifically, probably statistically terrible way of collecting information. 
but uh, it's certainly a, in, it's certainly a competition right now. As when I keep looking at the, at the results of the survey between Don't Look Now and Wickerman, if if uh, give yeah. that much away so far. So, I, yeah, uh, yeah, I think you could kind of guess that. I think they're both kind of really great films, and really, you know, you, you can kind of see that they're going to be up there definitely. And a, and a couple of years ago, Frightfest even put on the two the double bill as was originally. Right, yeah. As uh, when they sold the ticket. So you've got you, you're showing the film. You say at a cathedral, was it? Did you say it, it's it's not a cathedral, but it's a big Gothic church. There's, okay. There's, there's a church just down the road from um, from the cinema called St Mary's Church, and it's a big it's a big old kind of Gothic church. And we're getting a portal screen put in there, and there's going to be 250 people in there, um, and it's, it should look amazing. I mean, it's kind of it's slightly kind of weird prospect the idea of showing them now in that location. But, uh, on, on the one hand, it's absolutely kind of perfect for for the kind of you know for the sort of subject matter and and you know and his job in the film obviously is a church restorer, you know, church restorer, restorer. So so there's that as well. But in another way, it feels like um, I don't know. There's a bit of a sort of frisson about sort of showing a film like that in that you know in that kind of place. I'm really you know I'm really kind of intrigued to see what the atmosphere is going to be like in there and how people react to it. What 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 made you sort of step outside your normal kind of as you said yourself, it's the first one you've done outside of the Broadway. What was? Well, we talked about it for, for for a while, and it's just kind of like the practicalities of it. But Broadway Cinema, who we partner with to, to put the festival on, they they sort of um, suggested that there was this kind of potential of um, doing a screening in St Mary's Church, and we went and had a look at it. And you know, when they were asking about you know what film, do you think it could work for Mayhem? And you know, do you think you know what film do you think would work? I think you know that they look now now came to mind, and we just we just sort of suggested it. Probably loved the idea, and then and then it was just a case of um, you know just a case of asking Nicholas Rogue if he wanted to come. <laughs> yeah, just that just that small matter. And uh, and and presumably that went fine then. <laughs> well, it was, it, I mean, I. There's a, a producer that I'm working with at the moment called Julie Baines, and she produced Puffball, which is Nick's um, last film a few years ago. And I, I, I got in contact with her and said, you know, you know Nick, do you think he'd be up for this? And she said, yeah, you know, what you should do is write him a letter. You know, don't don't email, just, you know, a proper letter and, uh, you know, tell him about the event and, and ask him and, and see what he says. And that that's what I did. So I had this kind of, you know... Quite, you know, kind of slightly terrifying moment of like staring at his blank page with, you know, dear Mr. Rogue at the top of it. And then, <laughs> but, you know, I must have, must have sold it in, you know, enough of a way that he kind of bought into it. So, so he agreed to come. And, you know, I think we're, we're really, you know, really, really pleased to have him because he's such kind of influential filmmaker. Um, and Don't Look Now is such a kind of brilliant film that just the chance to kind of have him here in Nottingham and just have the chance to, to, to speak to him about, about those films is just brilliant. I mean, it's just, is it the 40th anniversary of the film? Is that right? Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean how, what, what, what do you think... What, how do you think this film has stood the test of time as a, as a film? I don't know. This, it, it's kind of weird because uh, it, it's almost like, I think, a, a horror film for people who don't like horror films because I know that, you know, I've, obviously, you know, being a horror filmmaker, I've had the conversation a load of times about, you know, you know, with people saying, oh, I can't watch horror films and, mm. you know, how can you make horror films and that, and, you know, which is a bit of a tiresome conversation to have. Um, but then, you know, people who say that would often say, well, I, you know, don't look now, I like that, that's good. And it, and it kind of seems to kind of straddle that kind of, that, that sort of audience where it's kind of, you know, horror film fans appreciate, appreciate it on, you know, for what it is. And then <clears throat> non-horror film fans also, I guess, 
I think that the sort of central story of it, that you know, this idea of kind of grief and this couple who have lost a child is very kind of resonant. And you, I've noticed in the past kind of ten years or so, the amount of films that have used that, you know, you know, as a kind of setup. You know, a couple moved to the country after the loss of their child. It's been used in so many kind of films, or something kind of either equivalent to that or, or quite close to that has been used quite a lot. So it must be a, a real kind of um, trope that 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 kind of affects people, I guess. Maybe it's just because you know. <clears throat> in society today we're much more kind of uh, conscious of of children and afraid for them you know than than uh than in previous sort of decades maybe that's the thing well also it's just a, just as a universal isn't it that, that children are innocent and adults are meant to take care of them and if you fail at that one basic part of your job then it becomes traumatic doesn't it as a drama from that point on i guess yeah, absolutely. Did you, I mean, out of interest, did your attitude towards the film change after having a child? Um, towards that film in particular? Yeah. I don't, did you, did you... I, no, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, obviously it, it becomes more kind of, it does become more resonant because you, you, you really understand what what it means, you know, or what, you know, what the implications of it are. You kind of understand that kind of feeling and it, and it is much more of a, you know, once you have a kid, it is one, you know, much more of a kind of present kind of terror, the idea of something happening to, to your child. So yeah, I, I, you know, I guess it does, but, but I don't know, it's funny people have asked me before whether, you know, having a child sort of affected my idea of, you know, the, the way that I make horror films and it, and it hasn't really at all <laughs> mellowed me at all in, ter in terms of what, you know, what kind of stuff I like or what kind of stuff I'd make. It's kind of, you know, you know, if anything, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, furthered it, I guess. So, so <laughs> I, mean, I, I made a film about murderous parents, you know, after having a child. Right? So that's true. Actually. Yeah. yeah you, <laughs> you thought, you thought no holds bar then. I think that's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those things where I kind of, it, it, I, I've kind of said this before <laughs> about the film. I don't know how sort of seriously people take me, but there's that weird moment where you kind of step out of the hospital with your newborn baby and the door's closed behind you. And you just think, I, what? Is that it? I'm on, I'm on my own with this. Are you sure? And you, <laughs> you just have <laughs> allowed to take this totally kind of innocent, vulnerable kind of entity out into the world and nobody's you know, going to sort of check on what you're doing or whether you even put the car seat in properly. You know, they just kind of let you go. And, and there was, you know, there was something in that kind of idea about, you know, what if you were just a, a, a sort of terrible person? What if you just, had, you know, mm. and, and you had children? What if you just had, you know, what if you just had sort of no kind of like conscience or kind of morality at all? Like how would that work? So that kind of fed into the idea that became mum and dad. And, and uh, the, the horrible results were, were, were to the viewers' benefit, I think. Um, <laughs> now you've got other British films on and contemporary ones at that. Yeah, at Mayhem. Do you want to talk about any of those? Yeah, I mean we've got um, uh, the Borderlands, which is a fantastic kind of found footage um, ghost story that um, is just amazingly uh, creepy. And we've got uh, the director Elliot. Uh, Goldner and producer Jen Handorf coming, uh, as well as uh, Gordon Kennedy and Robin Hill, who are the stars of it. So we've got them coming to. Have you got Robin Hill coming down, have you? Yeah, yeah. He's amazing in that film. Yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 have you seen the film Down Terrace? Yes, yes. I, yeah. I loved him in that, and obviously acting's not his priority, but everything he's in is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's it maybe it's just because he, he he doesn't do it kind of all the time maybe he's just much more kind of uh relaxed about it i don't know but he's it's a great film so we've got we've got that showing and we've also got um 
fantastic um, British new new British sci-fi film called The Machine. Okay, I don't um, know that one. What's that? It's it's a great, very kind of um, ambitious uh, British sci-fi um, shot in Wales, actually. Okay, and is about this. Uh, 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 trying to uh, create a, a kind of um, uh, it's it's in a kind of near future kind of cold war and Britain's on the brink of developing this kind of uh, weapon called the machine which is a kind of uh, sort of cyborg I guess um, and it's just this brilliantly kind of designed um, uh, British sci-fi film which is quite rare I think to find something like that is you know and it's you know probably the first time that we've done something kind of pure sci-fi at the festival because we're always kind of looking to kind of you know expand um what we show and what you know and, and kind of always listen to the audience about what they they would like to see and this was just like too good a film to kind of pass up really have you got toby stevens coming down at all is he going to show his face? No, no uh no we've got the director and the producer coming they're, okay. they're going to present it so uh so yeah that's and both of those are on the on the saturday um so yeah, we've got some you know great British stuff. We've got a new film called In Fear as well, um, which uh, by Jer- Jeremy Lovering, which is a again a very kind of um, hyper tense story about a couple who kind of get lost uh, in a car in the countryside and then um, are kind of menaced by uh, a figure or figures outside. And it's it's very kind of uh, very tense. And uh, the way that it was shot was that the director. Um, didn't give the actors the full script. He only kind of gave them the script a bit at a time. So their their reactions were kind of, uh, I guess, more real because they didn't know, you know what the, yeah, the yeah, outcome yeah. of the film was going to be. So. Yeah, there's some there's some great, um, I mean, some good acting in that for starters, and is a uh, sort of the uh, that kind of dramatic kind of Groundhog Day, or even like you know more more recently kind of Triangle elements to yeah. it, even though it's not in some sort of dream state, but just certainly you're forever. In, in fact, there's a bit, have you ever seen the film Red Rock West? Where yes. yeah, Nicolas yeah, Cage yeah. is constantly trying to get out of town and doesn't seem to be able to leave. Yeah. You've got it's that like, element uh, to it, haven't you? In you Infinity. turn as well as the same as that, isn't it? Yes, yes, you do with um, Sean Penn, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a cracking film, that one. Uh, it's, it's such a, I mean, when I saw Inferior, it was a sort of envy at its simplicity, but actually that they obviously took, they, they expanded that to its absolute limit, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's it's, it's very two kind of, people in the car, isn't it? And it's getting darker and darker, and the petrol yeah. tank's getting emptier. And again, it kind of t- taps into a very kind of sort of primal fear, I guess, about just kind of you know that being in a strange place, kind of getting lost. And it's you know, it's it's funny because I I watched that film literally just the day before I went away on holiday to France, where we had a, a driving holiday through France, and we're just driving like, through this kind of strange countryside, and it, and it gave it a weird kind of feeling, you know, being in that car. Yeah, I mean, I mean, rural Ireland is is particularly a bleak. You know, it's a bleak because that's where it's shot, isn't it? In fear, mm. it's, it's kind of a bleak place, isn't it? With the, yeah. the bogland either yeah. side of you, um, things like that. No, it's an excellent film. That now you've got, have you you've got a Toby Hooper film showing there, haven't you? We've got Life Force, yeah, the yeah. The, the, the the mania that is Life Force. That's our kind of late night Saturday film, which is you know, sexy naked space aliens coming down to London, and it's uh, it's kind of. It's just a mad film. It's, you know, we always try and show something quite sort of mad on the on a Saturday night, and something that's kind of a real kind of uh, audience pleaser. And, and Life Force is something that we've been talking about putting on for years, partially because one of our friends who's, who always comes to the festival absolutely loathes it. He thinks it's absolutely terrible, and, and partially it's just put on like specifically to piss him off, really. 
You've got a, you've got one of my favourite films of this year, actually. Uh, Painless showing. All right, yeah, yeah. Which I think just as a sort of um, raises the bar, I think, in terms of how horror storytelling can work, especially when, especially with what you're saying earlier about you know horror that's not for horror, necessarily for hardcore horror fans. It's just a it's a very good story in its, in yeah. its own right. Yeah. Absolutely, and again, it's. Uh, I don't. We seem to have a bit of a th- sort of theme this year of kind of children and horror. With, with yeah, we've got yeah. You know, don't look now. We've got painless. We've got a film called Delivery. Uh, we've got a director coming, Brian Neto from the states, and that's a you know a film about a kind of uh, uh, a pregnancy, um, sort of uh, been described as paranormal activity meets Rosemary's Baby, and that's that's a very kind of effective film as well. Although oh, not okay. not at all advised if you are in any way pregnant to go and see that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it seems to be a bit. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a theme. It's, you know, usually every year there's some kind of like running thread, and I don't know what it is, but this year it seems to be it seems to be children and and, and horror. In terms of programming a festival in Britain, what's the practicalities of it for you? Is it, are you are you alone, the kind of decision maker, or is the? Well, it's myself and Chris Cook. Um, okay. We we program everything. We we curate the whole, the whole thing. So it's just a very kind of intensive process of um trying to get hold of as many films as possible uh and watching them and the the program that we have is is pretty much our taste in in horror i guess um mm. and and we know kind of what you know that our audience kind of goes along with it because we've been doing this you know this is like the ninth year of mayhem so we've been doing oh. it um quite a long time and and yeah there's some films we might kind of disagree on but you know I think generally we have pretty much the same kind of taste. And, and I think there's just this kind of idea that we should try and get something that's a pretty kind of representative cross-section of where horror is at the moment across the world, you know. So we try and make sure that we get, you know, films from from other countries and we've got a good spread of, of different types of films. It's just like trying to make it so that it's a kind of nice, varied programme. No, no, I saw a talk once at Cannes that, we're talking about, that was sort of saying that festivals actually were actually a key facet now of film distribution because mm. festivals like yours would be what they described as destination festivals, i.e. you're going to show films that I won't necessarily in the big screen, so therefore I go to your festival, yeah. as opposed to, say, you know, can at the other extreme. Uh, well, no, absolutely. I think, I think festivals now, and, the, and since we started, a lot more have kind of grown up, especially kind of genre festivals in, in, in the UK. And I think now, you know, festivals can represent the theatrical run for a film because a lot of the films that we show won't get um, a UK theatrical release. You know, they'll, they'll be released on, on, on DVD for the most part. Mm. And so this is, you know, the chance for an audience to see it as it was intended, like in, in the cinema. And, and, we get a lot of people, you know, coming for that, you know, because you know they know that the film is going to be released on DVD eventually, but they want to see it in a festival environment and they want to see it with other horror fans, and there just isn't the kind of um, the opportunity to see these kind of films in in British cinema. Sadly, I mean, a few of them there will be. I'm, I'm sure, like the, you know, the Machine and In Fear will both kind of get maybe and Borderlands, I think as well. I'm sure, but um, we'll get kind of. Uh, theatrical releases but not necessarily wide releases and yeah they'll be limited won't they yeah limited releases and it may be that you know if, if you've got a low budget horror film that you know you, you can get a best kind of like you know one maybe two weeks in you know a couple of cinemas around the country but it's not going to go you know it may not even kind of come to nottingham you know so you know for us it's a good opportunity for us to to show these films you know, to a very kind of sympathetic audience. And distributors, I think, are kind of, you know, are, are savvy about that. And they know that, you know, that they can do a kind of circuit of, of festivals in the UK and around Europe and 
um, and, and get you know good word of mouth about their films and, and, and get them seen by very kind of enthusiastic audiences. And, and let's be honest, I mean, a good word of mouth success is is the best test screening you could have, isn't it, for any film? Because you could have one plan for a film and then if it becomes its own little success story, you can maybe be a bit more ambitious and that's the... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, I mean, it, there's still some, weirdly, there's still some distributors and, and some films that, that don't want to do it. I mean, there's, you know, we've had, you know, occasions in the past, maybe even this year, we've we've had a film where we've really wanted it and they've said, oh, no, we don't, we don't want to do any kind of festival screenings. And I always just kind of wonder about that, what the kind of rationale is behind that. I mean, you know, whether people worry that if the film's seen that that kind of cuts down on their DVD audience, I don't know. It's, it's a very kind of weird thing. Cause I, for me, it seems like, putting it in front of an audience and getting that word of mouth and getting those reviews and, and, and getting people interested and excited in it is, is, is all part and parcel of kind of getting the film out there. God, yeah, no, you, you, there's nothing more than authenticating something as being part of cinema by showing it in one. Yeah. And also, yeah, and also the, you know, the crowds that we're showing it to are very kind of open-minded and kind of, yeah, they want everything to be great. They want everything to be good. They're not going there. They're not kind of like jaded critics who have like seen 13 films already that week in some kind of like, you know, review cinema in Soho. These are people who are coming to this festival wanting every single film to be fantastic. So they're the kind of like ideal audience. For, you know, and, and the genre audience is, is forgiving much more so than most anyway, because I guess because you have to, it's events like this where you get to see your films on the big screen, as it were. Yeah, oh God, I mean, I think I think genre audiences and horror audiences in, in particular, I, I, I kind of, you know, it's, it's one of my kind of bugbears really is that people see, uh, people have a view of horror audiences as being quite narrow-minded and, and only sort of liking a certain thing, whereas, you know, horror audiences don't care where in the world a film is from, you know, <laughs> they don't care whether it's got subtitles, they don't care whether it's got anybody in it that they've ever heard of. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 they're willing to watch you know, anything that you put in front of them. And, and, you know, um, and that's not to say they won't be critical of it, but I think they're, you know, they're, they're much more kind of open-minded than I think a lot of people would, would think. That was um, Mark Cabone's argument, wasn't it, this summer? <laughs> he, was, he was advocating uh, cinemas having you know, granny afternoons, mothers and babies, and horror film fan-only nights. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think horror film fans, are, you know, know how. You know, I think it's good after being at Fright Fest, wasn't it? And just sort of saying that he appreciated how people watched. Was it the the Chucky film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the people you know, really well behaved and people kind of you know were were, were just into the film. And that's my experience as well of, of being to a lot of festivals, uh, genre festivals, and, and hosting one. Is that people, you know, people are just there to enjoy the film. They're there because they love films. They're there because they love the genre. Now. Um... The festival's the festival's the end of is the last the last weekend in October, isn't it? And I'll put details. Yeah, October thirty first to November the third. Yeah. Okay, so I'll put some details up with the podcast and a link where people can buy tickets and the like. Brilliant. Um, now I don't know how much you can or can't talk about them, so it's it's completely up to you. Um, and I won't be offended if you can't, because I understand <laughs> that much about film. So, um, what new projects have you got in the pipeline that you can tell us about? Well, I've got a project that I'm working on with uh, Jan Handorf, who's the producer of The Borderlands, and okay. also produced um, Sean Hogan's Devil's Business, uh, which is a great film that we showed uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and it's I just kind of finished the, the first draft, and it's a kind of uh, dark drama about um, teenagers and uh, ritual murder. That's okay. about <laughs> much I can say at the moment and then there's, there's a couple of that's other kinds that's of a heady cocktail yeah yeah. is yeah. that set Is that set in the UK it's set in the UK yeah because the, the last film I made was uh, 
set and filmed in Indonesia, which was uh, too much of a commute for me. So <laughs> trying to make something a bit closer to home this time. So, okay. so yeah, I've got that on the go. And then there's a few other kind of projects that are more kind of um, either I can't talk about because the producers have asked me not to talk about or are kind of too sort of early days yet. But, okay. but yeah, I think uh, the, the, the project with Jen is probably the kind of uh, furthest along at the moment. Nice one. Well, good luck with that. Um, so then for a bit of fun, I've got two more questions for you that I like to ask everybody. Okay. Um, the first one's in line with the survey we're doing. So, and, and you being a, a horror fan as well as a horror filmmaker, w- could you recommend me a British horror film? Maybe not like a best of one, but maybe an overlooked classic or a, a favourite of yours that, that just doesn't get the the credit it deserves. Well, I'm I'm a big fan, kind of early seventies, slightly sleazy, low budget British horror. <laughs> so, okay. I like kind of Pete Walker stuff and I like stuff like uh, Mumsy Nanny, Sunny and Girly. And, uh, but there's a film called The Fiend, which um, isn't, or it's, it's also known as Beware, Beware My Brethren. Okay, I don't know that one. It's, it's a kind of, uh, it's a story about a young man whose uh, mother is highly religious and um, he is a kind of um, sort of psycho killer who goes out at night to, to kill women. And it's a very kind of very low budget uh, film, but it's got a fantastic kind of uh, opening sequence where it uh, contrasts this kind of um, weird kind of church uh, meeting uh, where they end up singing this kind of quite funky kind of gospel song uh, intercut with this guy sort of chasing down this woman to kind of murder. So it's this kind of proto kind of slasher film, really. Okay. Um, but it's full of kind of mad little touches, and it's it's just a, it's just one of those kind of odd little British films that that that, that I really I really like. And there's something about I talked about this before with friends of mine. There's something about that kind of period of of, of Britain. Whereas when when I look at those kind of films, uh, you know, it reminds it, it it really gives me a sense of sort of Britain at that time, as kind of early sort of seventies, because a lot of times are kind of shot on location and. And and they're more kind of real in a way than 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 a lot of films that from that time they seem very kind of redolent of that of that kind of era just because of the lack of budget means that they can't afford to you know it's kind of after the time the sort of boom time of Hammer really where everything was set in the studio and everything was kind of felt more kind of gothic and artificial this is this is uh, sort of after that where you've got these directors coming out of the sort of sex exploitation era and and kind of making stuff on the low budget and 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 making stuff that's that's a bit more kind of grimy I guess and I, you know I like a bit of grime. Is it, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it, it it was um, it was a weird kind of halcyon period, wasn't it, where people would just go out and make films. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago hearing uh, Pete Walker talk, and um, he was talking about how, you know making his films. And obviously, he came out of a exploitation kind of background, and then moved into making kind of horror stuff. And mm. and you know, he every film that he made made a profit, which he then used to fund the next film that was he was like a totally kind of independent filmmaker he wasn't mm. kind of getting subsidies from anybody or getting grants or working with a studio even he you know he made money in you know making these kind of sex exploitation films and then and then later on moved into making horror films and, and just you know funded them himself and 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 it was a great kind of great kind of era and, and you know towards the end of the 70s and then into the 80s all that kind of really disappeared and there's, it, there's, it was a bit of a kind of a desolate time I think for, for British horror no, I, totally, I totally agree with you totally agree with you. it was like it's almost like the the, the loss of sort of Amicus and, and Hammer just took eventually just everything lost its steam didn't it, it just 
Yeah, that, that would yeah, have it, naturally would have supported when, all the when stuff. Trying to find kind of um, archive films to show at a festival, you know, yeah. and 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 try and get guests and stuff. When you realise that you're looking at films from from the seventies and hardly anything from the eighties, even going into the nineties, it's kind of you know there's a real sort of barren period where there wasn't a lot of you know British horror films being made, or or at least you know that that, that were kind of visible. Yeah, I mean, what, what I mean now, you would you arguably Dog Soldiers was was kind of a signifier, wasn't it, in terms of absolutely, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Dog Soldiers, I think, was was that kind of point where, oh, that's a good British horror film. I think yeah. there've been, you know, there've been attempts at making kind of British horror films before, and I guess, you know, obviously, you had kind of, you know, stuff like Hellraiser, but mm. um, but I think, yeah, Dog Soldiers was was the, the very beginning of that of that sort of new era of of British horror where there was suddenly a bit more of a kind of explosion in, in people making horror films. And my final question, Stephen, and, and I should have given you a heads up on this. I usually do, so forgive me. You know, you know, you can pause because I can edit your pause and thought out if okay. you've not already thought of this. But it's uh, if there was a film you could reboot as a director, or even get your hands on the script and fix what was wrong with it, um, what would that be? Uh, it's, uh, it's a thing I've kind of thought about, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's the, the films that I really like that that I think oh, I'd love to do something along those lines. Yeah. But, it's, but there's also films that I think are flawed, but I wouldn't presume to remake them and try and make them better. I wouldn't be that kind of uh, arrogant, I don't think. But um, I guess a couple of films that, that I would really like to do a spin on, something like Spider Baby by Jack Hill. Okay. I think, yeah, but then again, that's another kind of messed up family film and maybe you know, Mum and Dad's kind of enough of a version of that. But um, God Told Me To, Larry Cohen. I don't know that one. What's that one? God, God told me to is uh, where there are a spate of murders going on in New York City and when the police get to uh, the scene of the murder, the person who just committed the mur- murder um, tells them, that when they ask him why he did it, he says, God told me to. Um, and uh, it's about a uh, detective who's investigating this, this, this spate of murders and it's, it's, it's quite, quite mad and great. Sounds sounds right up my street, and I'll be checking it out. Yeah, I think you'd love it. you have to check it out, yeah. Well, look, Stephen, I thank you very much for your time, and we'll get this up as soon as we can so we can be helped promoting your Mayhem Film Festival. Good luck with that, Brilliant, and good luck with your other film projects you've got in, in transit right now. Cheers, thanks a lot. Hopefully we can, uh, when, when there's more to talk about, you know, give us a shout and we'll get, we, can, we can talk about your films then as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.